Welcome everyone to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. I am honoured to have Alberto Nunez from 3DMJ on the podcast, who stepped on stage in 2007. That was the first time he stepped on stage and actually turned pro very shortly after. So uh, it's, it's Alberto is a great physique. I think everyone who is following my podcast knows how Alberto is, and he is known for having kind of a great physique on season, off season, year round. And that's something we're going to be talking about is kind of like different people's off-season approaches, different people's kind of in-season approaches and different phases a bodybuilder will go through uh, because Berto has been through them all himself and coaches other people through those. Uh, so I thought it was really powerful that on the 3DMJ website, kind of it said that your most proud achievement isn't necessarily like your physique, any of the trophies you've won, but it's actually the fact you can say, I'm part of Team 3DMJ, more so than part of team 3dmj you are one of the founders you are one of the head like coaches everyone knows kind of alberto is 3dmj and that's your kind of proudest achievement and i thought that was really cool um i don't know if you want to expand on any of that i just yeah uh yeah i think first of all like wow the fact that you know 2007 yeah that was my first season and that's that's so insane because that's that's going to be nearly a decade ago now and I just I remember when I first had intentions to start competing, and uh, it was it was one of those things where I'm like, no, I'm not ready. I'll wait another year. We'll put it put it off this year. Uh, and I did that for numerous years. And finally, at 2007, I jumped in, and I think that's kind of sort of what we're going to touch upon today. But at the time, the way I saw it, it was uh, either you're dieting for a show or you're not. Um, so the, the water was very murky in regards to what I should be doing now what should I be doing at this point? Like it was, it was, I had no clue. Mm-hmm. And over the years we've definitely refined that. And I look forward to, to sharing that with, uh, with the listeners. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been, that, that's, I, I said, I say that about 3d muscle journey because, um, you know, at a, at a certain point, um, like any other sport, you know, like you, you look at the athletes of like yesteryear, they're almost forgotten, you know, and, and then the gene pools get bigger uh, we find better ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you did is just kind of obsolete. You know, you look at a lot of bodybuilders from, say, like the um, the 60s, 70s, and you're like, uh, you know, they, they were they were good in their time, but they wouldn't be good relative to the guys now. However, the thing is with, with 3D Muscle Journey and coaching and contributing in, in regards to, um, I guess, the sports knowledge banks, it's it's that's going to stick around a bit longer because, um, yeah, you know, the ideas of today are kind of, formulated or built upon the ideas of yesterday and and i feel like we have helped push things in in the right direction so yeah beyond any trophy any specific uh accolade like being part of team 3d muscle journey and and contributing i think is is easily easily um i i would have i would have not seen this like a decade ago competing and doing relatively well sure but like this whole 3d muscle journey thing blows my mind when i think about the fact that um we've come so far and that, like you said, like you know, every once in a while you you'll get someone who knows who we are, and that's 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 so humbling, and it just it pushes you to continue doing what you're doing. So thank you for that. No, it's well, thank you guys for doing what you're doing, and I think it's, and I think I said it to Eric, it's just credit to you and the fact that you have such kind of passionate kind of clients who want to share what they're doing with you, and like their results are amazing. It's credit to you guys because I think. And like you're saying, like the sport is evolving because science is improving. Like Brad Schoenfeld is coming out with studies like every week, which is amazing. 
but it's also there's so much experience because there aren't that many studies i think something that 3dmj has is you've been doing this for years and you've kind of updated your approaches something like something that springs to mind is like the recovery diet kind of the fact we had kind of the reverse diet and then you've now kind of come on to the recovery diet i think it's really powerful because you could have wanted to stick to your ways and methods but you haven't you've evolved with the science you've evolved with your experiences which is what i think sets you apart from a lot of other kind of coaching companies and i hope you well you will continue to do that it continue to gain more experience and hopefully continue to get more exposure as kind of you guys have got your own great podcast and uh different kind of things like that and well now you're on uh you're on Snapchat and on kind of IG stories and things like that. And it's mm. everyone's getting an insight into it. And I think natural bodybuilding as a whole is going to grow massively. That's so insane because, yeah, that was that was uh, the claim when I first started that natural bodybuilding was so small that it wasn't really worth investing your time in. And, and look at it now. I think it's it's uh, I wouldn't say it's the preferred way of doing things, but it definitely exists. And people know that it, it exists. It used to be like an oxymoron when I would tell people. Hey, natural bodybuilding. You're like, no, <laughs> and and now people know. So yeah, I think uh, the community as a whole is doing a great job in um, in yeah, just kind of helping expedite the popularity of it. And at least people, I think, yeah, I think people now can get started with their uh, their bodybuilding journey and and get off to a better start than I did and the other three D muscle journey coaches did. And they might see that hope. I have a choice. I don't have to do that route. I can yeah. do this. And it's, it's so much more fun when you do it the, the, I guess, the natural way to me because you, you can be wrong. And being wrong is um, – that's how you learn and, and, and that's how you grow and that's how you find better ways to do things because it is hard to make your body do the things you want it to do. Um, but, but yeah, uh, recovery diet, I can't wait to get into that one because it's, it's actually – uh, I think our biggest contribution in this last year, and I think it's been slightly overlooked in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not the most popular way of doing things. It sounds kind of mad and insane to a lot of people, um, but I think it'll catch on, and I think I'll, I, I'm gonna be able to look back and be like, ah, "I told you so," and I, I can't wait. Do you want to actually? We could start off with the recovery diet and go into off season if that's something you you're passionate and you want to share. Because I agree, I think it's something a lot of people don't know about i mean people who i think might know about it and then i'm like have you seen these videos because you've got those videos online and i think they're some of your most popular i hope they are but yeah should we start with recovery diet i don't think that's a bad way to go about it and then we can go into off season and then kind of come back into prep maybe um i don't know where to start um we can save the recovery diet okay. we can go by the same the, the same pace you wanted to go by cool that way they have to listen because I think yeah. every yeah every segment of your like continuum as a bodybuilder has like a great purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I want people to basically acknowledge that. Okay, so yeah, guys, stick around because we're going to get into some, some juicy recovery diet at the end of this. So we're going to be talking about uh, natural bodybuilding kind of phases because I think a lot of guys in the gym don't really know what they're doing necessarily. Like periodization is pretty new for natural bodybuilding. And I know you guys are now kind of you going more into the nutritional periodization side with refeeds, diet breaks and things like that. Um, and even actually someone in my Facebook group that I have was like, I've heard Alberto Nunez talk about the diet before the diet. And he said he like Googled it and things, but you couldn't find anything. So I know that's something we can touch on as well, because you talked about that at the, the conference at the 3DMJ seminar. Uh, so if we start off with kind of 
off season lengths maybe between shows um whether there's kind of training age considerations because i think a lot of people look towards maybe even the whole team of 3dmj but particularly you particularly you sorry in that you stay very lean um and you don't necessarily gain all that much weight but is that applicable to everyone should they really be following exactly your line or should they maybe try something else yeah um so how uh how much weight you allow yourself to gain during a gaining phase um yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand with how long have you been training, um, how long have you been training right, you know, kind of concurrently running a, a sound progressive resist, resistance training program along with a, um, a, a, a pretty decent diet. Um, and for someone such as myself who's been doing that for going on like 15 years now, yeah, 15 years, uh, it's, it's I'm, I'm not going to put on a whole lot of muscle like during uh, – whole year, even if I do everything right. Uh, so for me, you know, where my contest weight is and where I need, where I allow, allow myself to get to, it's not that far away. Um, just because there isn't much reward. But say if you take a younger competitor who maybe competed fairly early on, you can perhaps let them stray a bit further away from their contest weight because they might be 10, 15 pounds heavier next time they compete. You, 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 you uh, that, that is definitely not out of, uh, out of what, what I guess you you can see given the right circumstance. So how much you gain, how much you, I, I guess, uh, let yourself get out of shape is going to be uh, based on, yeah, your, your, your training age. And I think watching what I do at this point isn't necessarily, um, yeah, most people's situations aren't, aren't quite like mine where, hey, if I'm on stage a pound heavier after two and a half years of uh, – of uh, of uh, training at a surplus, more or less. Um, I did my job, and I did I did everything right for the most part. So yeah, how much you gain is going to revolve around your training age, in short. And I guess even for someone as advanced as you, who's been kind of, who's basically eked out every, like every little ounce of muscle they can, and it's something we're touch on is sometimes it's down to how you actually take that fat off. In that, like maybe you actually take the fat off better, so you hold on to more muscle, and it isn't actually the fact you gained more in your off season. Exactly. Um, I think the the it, it gets to the point where you have uh, you're, you're that close to your ceiling that your body is not going to hesitate in letting go of that muscle at a certain point. Um, so so that's something you have to take into consideration. That the the more you have to diet, the more you kind of put your muscle at risk. Um, and, and this is in particularly true for guys who, again, are very close to their, their genetic ceiling. Um, and that is probably something that I would say is uh, just, just as importantly as learning how to put on muscle, how to take it off uh, and, and keep uh, – not, not, not how to take off muscle, how to take off fat and keep <laughs> muscle is something that um, you should focus on just as much. Um, so, so yeah, like how far out of shape you get yourself is, is um, I think it, 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 it works out because is, is you, the longer you do this, the more, um, I wouldn't say that the better your adherence gets, but the less, um, there's just a lot of good habits that just become part of you. So it's a lot easier to, to stay, I guess, leaner, if you will. So that, that kind of, they kind of align right in that way. But the, the biggest reason that I think, again, a... Um, a more advanced bodybuilder wants to stay tighter versus a newer bodybuilder is simply because 
um, their bodies aren't going to be able to tolerate a long, turbulent diet mm -hmm. the same way. And I think a lot of the audience checking in, and even myself, we're not ad like advanced as advanced as like you, Jeff, even Eric, and everyone. So for us looking at you and taking guidance is probably not the best idea. And I guess you coach people who are probably more intermediate who need to put on weight. Do you have a lot of clients who maybe struggle with that concept, with that idea, and maybe even reference yourself and like, how, like, how are you telling me to eat more when I, I look at you and you're so lean? And how do you get around that? And how do you encourage them to just like, you need to put in this effort now because putting on muscles hard, stripping fat off is much easier. And I think that, that, um, one of, and this is actually Andrea, some Andrea said in one of our podcasts, was that usually the people who have a hard time with the off-season and putting on low fat are usually the people who don't necessarily view this as a sport all the way. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'll be, I'll be the first to admit, like, I don't necessarily like wear my muscles like accessories, like the way I used to, like, you know, early on. But I like the way I look. It's kind of a cool little bonus. It's like, oh, wow, you know, clothes fits extra nice. And, you know, you, you look in shape, right? But um, but at the end of the day, like I body built for, you know, to be competitive, and I think the 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 earlier you can get an athlete to buy into that, the more they see this as like this is not just a phase where I don't look quite as good as I did a few months ago. Uh, this is a phase that's going to help our bottom line, and our bottom line is basically at some point when we do get on that stage, we're going to have a whole lot more a whole lot more muscle. Um, but but you're right, it's it's very hard to sell that to people because um, you get a younger competitor who, you know, maybe still has eight pounds of muscle that, that he can put on. Whereas, um, I don't know, maybe I might have two pounds of muscle at this point. And we're in very different situations. So it's like for him, it's like I'm going to push you to continue to gain weight because I think there might be a reward there. Uh, whereas for me, it's like ah, I think I better stay within these ranges. Um, however, one thing that does help is that I do scale uh, or I give people objective numbers in regards to like where they should be hovering around mm -hmm. uh, in their offseason, like how far away from stage weight. And I think the, the biggest difference is that for most um, younger bodybuilders, they, they can probably get away and it might be in their best interest to perhaps be anywhere around 15 to 20% above their contest weight and kind of do a lot of their work there. Whereas for someone like me, maybe closer to 10 to 15% above their contest weight is probably a better place to do most of the our work because in reality they're 15 to 10 15 to 20 percent above their contest weight because they have such gaining potential it might not be that it might actually be closer to 10 to 15 once we find out and we put on that new muscle so um yeah i can uh i can certainly i have empathy for like oh you know the cuts are going i'm, I'm getting mm -hmm. you know a little here and there um, but at the same time, I think that's probably be, probably been one of the biggest differences between like the generation that I grew up in, like when it came to putting on muscle, uh, and today's generation, where I think everyone, especially because of social media, is perhaps yeah. a bit overly infatuated with uh, staying aesthetic, if you will. Whereas I remember when I was a kid, if you posted a picture and you're 160 pounds at my height, they'd be like, "Bulk kid!" <laughs> like, I, I want to not, I don't want to see those abs in a few months, and that's how it was. Yeah. So. So yeah, it's it's uh, the buy-in is very important, but I think when you give people objective figures in regards to this is where we should be, yeah. uh, you're doing it right, even though you look at yourself and you might not think you're doing it right, that helps a lot. 
Yeah, I guess it's just like, I mean, people can imagine you can't just spend money all the time. There has to be a period of time where it sucks, where you have to work, you have to kind of invest and manage your money, earn interest, and then you get to spend it. And spending's fun, but you can't kind of be shredded, spend money all the time. Otherwise, you're never going to invest and be able to buy something better or get a better physique in future. And I think there's a lot of psychological barriers to get through. I know I coach people and it, it takes time for some of them to accept that they have to get a little bit away from those cuts, especially once you've kind of done that initial kind of, you bulked up a bit then you've cut down and then you're like, I don't want to get away from this point. Yeah. They need to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the more you see your bodybuilding as a sport, as something where um, you're a bit more bottom line orientated and that's not to say that you shouldn't like not enjoy the process. The more you you see this phase, it perhaps be might be a bit bothersome. You know, you you sit down and there's a few little roles here and there that weren't there a few months ago. It starts to have purpose outside of uh, the fact that it's just a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's I think the most important athlete buy-in to to make sure that they understand that uh, that part where maybe you don't look your best is probably what's going to contribute to you looking your best at some point down the line. Mm -hmm. Contribute the most rather. <laughs> And I know you have talked about kind of set points and like an upper set point and kind of lower. And I, I, I definitely think, it, although it's a theory, I think it's kind of something that's kind of obvious when you really look about people and you've coached enough people. For someone like yourself, I know kind of you have quite a low set point, so you stay pretty lean and it's not hard for you. Whereas other people, they might be like, being at your leanness would be like right at their lower end or quite low. So do you think there's those differences there? Because some people probably think like I'm way above what I think I should be comparing myself to maybe my friend. But to be, like you said, productive, feel like that you can train with energy and be kind of on good calories even. Um, do you think that has an impact? Yeah, the, the whole set point thing is it's it's quite obvious if you were to just look at any other sport, like if you were uh, to go into a... a any sports locker room and you saw just a collection of athletes they all kind of have different body fats but their physical activity and their environment for the most part is pretty similar um and that's that's definitely something that that you you want to be honest with yourself with is like where am i in regards to everything across the board hormonally leverages where am i you know most comfortable where am i going to make the, the most progress um and for yeah, for 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 a bodybuilder, there's there's certainly such a, a point where it's like, okay, you're getting too fat to the point where we're we're getting away from our sports specificity, which is a lot of muscle, a little fat at its peak, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, but uh, at the same time, you also don't want to be too close to peak performance all the time. I think any sport, you know, just about any, no sport does it in that manner, yeah. where they're they're running near peak levels. You, you would break if, if track athletes were running, you know. Uh, below tens all season long, they would break. If you look at like track times early in the season versus later, they look very different. Um, and the same thing goes for bodybuilders. Is like if you try to be too close to your peak all the time, at some point something's gonna break. And it's not always with bodybuilding. It's not always going to be uh, uh, physical either. I think yeah. because um, because of, of of the whole uh, nutrition thing, it's usually um, it's usually psychological injuries that, that we encounter that are mm -hmm. probably much more common in, in bodybuilding than in the actual physical ones I feel mm -hmm. um, so yeah yeah you don't you don't want to be so lean or so close to peak performance your peak I guess uh, uh, your peak physique 
for too long or, or it's, it's, you're going to slow down the rate at which you can progress. But most importantly, something's going to break at some point. Yeah. I guess if people want to imagine it as like a, a power lifter isn't always peaked for a one rep max, you go through like work capacity periods, like accumulation phases, then you go into strength periods and then you go and peak them for that one time. And they don't stay that strong all the time. Like one rep maxes change all the time. If they didn't go through that, they wouldn't be as good and as competitive. And yeah, what and what we talked about is 3DMJ are coming to this kind of phasic approach where there's an obvious thing and people can actually, rather than kind of spinning their wheels, trying to be at peak all the time and not really getting there and not improving, kind of you've got that transition. And I know we've kind of talked about gaining <coughs> weight and maybe when people do get to the upper point, or maybe not even right to the upper point and they just want to bring it down a little bit. Kind of mini cuts, um, can we kind of talk about those a little bit? I myself have my own kind of ways of implementing mini cuts, but I know you run mini cuts. How kind of the length of them, how aggressive do you go? Um, do they differ for different in individuals? How do you approach those, Alberto? First of all, a great way of putting it with the whole powerlifting thing. Um, for example, when you're accumulating volume, like when you're pretty far away from me, you're not quite as strong as maybe you were during your last week. Like mm. Your one rep max would probably you know, be down 5-7% or something like that. Um, and the same thing goes with bodybuilders. Is like, okay, so you're not as lean right now, but trust me, this phase is important yeah. for that later phase. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so mini cuts is something that uh, <clears throat> I think the longer you do this, the, the better you get at gaining. Um, I think the issue for most people anyways when it comes to gaining is that they gain too much too quickly. Um, so, you know, often for, for a lot of people, you know, maybe their gaining phase has started four months and then they get to the point where it's like, okay, we're so like deconditioned now that we need to clean this up. But over time you get better. And I think ideally for most people where I would like to see them is anywhere gaining phases that last anywhere between eight to 12 months. Mm -hmm. That would be ideal. Um, so eight months, eight to 12 months gaining, and then roughly a quarter of that time, um, cutting is, is about right. Okay. Um, and I think, yeah, Eric put it, uh, uh he put it at the, uh, at the seminar, he put at the conference, he put it very clearly, like for every month gaining, you, you earn about a, a week of cutting. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's about how long you want to you want to get to the point where you can be gaining for that long, you know, and, and you know, this is that if, if you're cutting too frequently, you never really get to build up that gainer's momentum, you know? And I think for, um, even for people who maybe they don't necessarily get too fat too quick, uh, but they just don't like seeing their body outside of that peak shape. What ends up happening is the first time they actually follow through on an eight month gaining phase, they're like, Oh wow. Like, I actually wanted to turn back at that four-month phase. I'm so glad I kept going because I there was these all these gains that I had never seen before. All these weights that I had never lifted before happened from that point onwards. So, um, <clears throat> minimum eight months, I feel, is what people should be aiming for. Mm -hmm. And if you can get to a year, good. Um, most people can't, and that's fine. But eight months is, is about right. And if you can start, if, if you know you have to build up to eight months, that that's fine. You know, just. Over time, you want to see four months turn to six, six turn to seven, eight, etc. And then at the end of that eight months, is that a time where you'd introduce that cutting period or is it a time where you might maintain for a period of time and then go again if you are still <clears throat> lean or? Yeah, after, yeah, after we've, uh, 
we've uh, finished our gaining phase, officially finished the gaining phase, um, that, that is when we do get into our, our mini cut. And simply because um, it's not like we're trying to get ultra lean, we're just trying to lose, you know, in most cases, anywhere between, you know, five to 7% of our body weight. Um, because of that, um, we can be a bit more assertive, I feel. And you're not going to lose muscle because you're at the higher end of your athletic settling point, if you will. Um, so we can go for it. And uh, especially if the person is quite tolerant, there's certainly some people that maybe that's not the best idea to do it with. Maybe they're kind of new to caloric restriction and, and you know, you, you want to take your time with. But um, again, over time, as you get, you get better at your gaining phases and making those things longer, um, you, you get better from a willpower uh, point of view when it comes to your, your fat loss phases. You're just a little bit more durable. It doesn't bother you nearly as much. You've done this caloric restriction uh, uh, a, a bit, a, a few more times and you've kind of learned to make it mesh with, you know, your, your, your life outside of the gym with, with the kind of learn to train in a deficit, um, which is a skill in itself, you know, learning how to, how to cope. Um, so yeah, you want to push for something a bit more assertive than maybe you would during a contest prep. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, at the same time, you know, that's going to differ from person to person. Personally, I've gone to the point now where, um, because to me, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I despise mini cuts, but <laughs> they're certainly not my favorite part. It's, it's like if I hit a really good lift or a PR during a mini cut, I'm like, oh, what a waste. That's not <laughs> going to any new tissue, you know? Um, you're not recon. So I try to put them out the way, like as, as, as efficiently as I can. And, mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've done, I think two mini cuts, uh, this off season and they were both about five to six weeks. Cool. And that was that was quite a. I think they were both about ten pound mini cuts as well. That's that's nice. that's quite a deal. But five years ago, I don't think I would have been able to tolerate that. It would have been, um, it would have been too much to handle. Mm -hmm. I guess the benefit of also having a longer gaining phase is, <laughs> in a strange way, you probably get a bit kind of sick of eating so much, and you're probably at a point where you're like, right, I am actually quite fluffy, and so the mini cut is almost for some people maybe a bit of a welcome break. But I know for myself, when you do go for that aggressive kind of mini cut approach, trying to be as maybe flexible as you were during your gaining phase in that mini cut gets very difficult. Kind of like I like like yourself, I like to get in and out. So I'm like, right, I'm going to try and minimize eating out. I'm going to try and get my macros kind of on point um, so that I don't end up kind of just being hungry all the time because you go from being in a good amount of food to like not very much. Is that something you do as well? Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, again, I want to spend the majority of my time eating enough and training. And yeah, it just, I, I, I and it, it happens so frequently, especially as you get better at, at, at uh, training while under eating that you, your lifts continue to go up and you're like, man, this would have been so nice to have done with like enough food. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, the, and, and again, it kind of goes back to seeing this as a sport and the more bottom line orientated you are, um, and again, that's not where everyone's going to start by any means. Uh, the, the more almost like robotic you can be when you need to be mm -hmm. turning on that switch and just doing what you need to do so that you can move on to the next phase. Um, but that takes some time, but that is the goal. The goal is to definitely see, yeah, see your, your, your physique as you know, the way a, a golfer would see their, their putting game or something like mm -hmm. that. You know, you want to be, it's, it's a thing, I guess. And I think 
Yeah, the, and the great thing with that with the mini cut because it's short, you're not getting those kind of metabolic adaptions. You aren't getting really tired, and like you said, you can still hit PRs and progress. Like the first part of probably a contest prep, like that first month, you're still doing really, really well. So it's kind of like it just comes in. You're just eating less. It's not the end of the world. When we're talking about kind of so we've talked about off season kind of gaining for sort of eight to twelve months, and then coming into a mini cut. Is it after that mini cut or is there, I know you talked about a transition phase. Where does that come in before then you kind of get into that like digging phase and things like that? Mm, okay. So for, yeah. So for a competitive physique athlete, you're going to have these like periods during an extended off season that are, um, you know, they're, they're going to be a surplus. You can have some small deficits in there. So like the gaining phases and the mini cuts. Um, and then it gets to the point where you have a general idea of, of when you're going to compete again. And you want to position yourself in a way so that there's this little work to do when it comes time to actually press the contest prep diet button. And this is where you plan it so that your last mini cut is, um, I'd say, around a year out from your show. And then what you're going to do um, is basically um, run a gain tain slash maintain phase and let me tell you where this idea came from it was back when firstly i had a hard time um training i'd say below 180 pounds so i saw the benefit and mind you my contest weight is about 160 um so but i felt my strongest at that point between 180 and 190 so i saw the benefits of being there but also i have i had done it at, at some point where i went from 190 to 160 and that was just a mess mm -hmm. so uh, what I did a bit differently and how I kind of stumbled upon this is I, I ran a mini cut I got myself down below 180 and at that point it was I was scheduled to start my prep about four to five months afterwards and I'm like ooh, you know what if I hold it here I, I don't won't have to do as much work and I don't ever want to lose 30 something pounds again to get into, into proper shape. So um, I held it there and what I ended up doing, because obviously I'm not going to be gaining as much um, muscle on when your calories are like that close to just being a, a pretty much maintenance. Uh, what I did is I ran a few specialization blocks prior to starting my contest prep. So I was able to look at myself at the end of my mini cut and be like, okay, this is uh, this needs to be brought up a little bit more. That still needs some more. So I pick two body parts, everything else kind of at maintenance mm -hmm. and try to make a last minute dash in those areas. Um, and it worked really well. I was able to, uh, it worked well in regards to like bringing up those body parts. But then also the big thing about that gain phase before you actually start your diet is it mentally, it uh, puts you in a good place to take on a contest prep. Because mm -hmm. as you know, when you're at your heaviest in, in the off season, uh, you're, you know, there's a lot of habits that maybe wouldn't be too conducive to a proper prep, right? So you eventually kind of get those things out. You eat out less frequently. Um, your fridge looks a little bit different. Uh, you're a bit more precise when it comes to counting your food. So it, 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 it primes you mentally for that prep. So it isn't like, you know, deep off season contest prep. You transition into that and it's much less stressing for the athlete. And then not to mention because you are more or less at the weight where you ended that mini cut. You're in a very, very good position to strike and start your contest prep. And this is, I think, important for both a, an advanced physique athlete and then a not so advanced. For the advanced 
physique athlete simply because again their muscles are uh, more jeopardy of you know being dropped off at some point during the prep and uh, for a newer athlete it's it's a good idea because they're they probably won't be able to tolerate as much as someone who's done this a few times so by having them start a little bit closer there isn't as much work to do because my first contest prep were I had to lose 25, 30 pounds. It was it was too much. It yeah. was way too much. I got to the point where I was like, I, I don't know if I necessarily like this. Um, so so yeah, that that set of diet gets you closer. You get to um, start building up some habits that are um, going to be of use to you during the whole prep. And I think the best part is you're you're going to run you know a marathon that's no longer than it needs to be. Yeah, I, I guess, that, is that the diet before the diet? If people have heard you yes. quote that, that's like where you tighten up ship, um, where you get used to things, but you're not actually dieting, which is a good thing because, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's a really, really powerful thing for people to take away because I think some people start too heavy and they also don't actually give themselves much time. So in my first prep, I had to lose 30 pounds as well and I had no idea how much I had to would need to lose. And I gave myself loads of time. So I had loads of time, but there weren't really any diet breaks or things like that. So I was very much questioning whether I would want to do this. And I was like, I mean, for me, I follow things through and I'll just do it. But I think some people might have kind of wanted to give up. Uh, It was incredibly hard. And I think dieting for extended, really long periods of time like that is probably just not nice um and you just do get something like diet fatigue and you do get all those metabolic adaptions it becomes almost impossible Mm -hmm. so um i guess that kind of relates a bit to diet breaks and refeeds and things um which i after the transition phase is that i don't think that's then digging quite yet is it is that just the initial contest prep yeah so let's just say you're kind of you, you set up your diet where you had that mini cut, you got closer to stage weight, you went through your gain tain phase for four months, you know, ran a few specialization um, blocks and we'll just say you did something like calves and shoulders and um, then everything else was kind of sort of in maintenance and then finally you, you, you start your contest prep, your actual prep. Um, <clears throat> I think one thing that we have done differently over the last few years is much how um, I think think you've probably done this before but there was maybe a point in time where maybe when it comes to your training you would deload when you needed to you know there was not, not necessarily scheduled deloads you knew that deloads were something that you know can help you progress over the long term but they were kind of scattered and they were on a need to, to have basis um, that's kind of sort of how we used to do our diet breaks and now it's gotten to the point where when an athlete starts a contest prep we schedule those beforehand so that they know that this is a diet break, this is a diet break, this is a diet break, and when it is time to diet break, there isn't, um, you know, because you always feel like you're a little behind when you're you're dieting, and and I mean, who wants to like lose a, a week of uh, of dieting? Not that you're actually going to lose one, but but um, but yeah, so that's one thing we we definitely do now is much like our training, where hey, maybe you're deloading every fourth, fifth week uh, when it comes to your. Uh, contest prep dieting maybe your your diet deloading um every eighth week or so but that's something that's put out ahead of time once you start your contest prep you kind of know what the structure of it's going to look like and you will even take your diet break um i'd say during that first initial phase where you know fat loss is pretty easy and straightforward um 
we'll even include a diet break in, in, in that phase as well, which, again, most people are so motivated, they're losing so well that they, they don't necessarily want to take a step mm-hmm. back. But uh, what I've, I've seen is, is it just makes fat loss more predictable. And that, that, that uh, honeymoon phase of a diet where it's just coming off, it's coming off, uh, it, it, it ends up extending a little bit further yeah. than, than you would think um, just from taking those diet breaks. So, yeah, sometimes – so, yeah, it's funny. Sometimes discipline is not doing something, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that is that – is, uh, when we do start our diet, much like any training plan, is like well, you kind of have a general idea of what next few weeks are going to look like so that there's no surprises. Mm-hmm. I guess it – if anything as well, the psychological aspect of, I know I've got this diet break here, so I know I need to make as much progress as possible before that. So they just are tighter because we've all been in diets where we're like, oh, there's like five grams more on the scale and that adds up and it's 10 grams and you just want more. Whereas if you're like, right, I actually have this diet break and Berto's going to make me do it, even if I don't want to. Um, Whereas actually, and I, I guess a good way of doing it is explaining to people, we're definitely taking this so I don't want you to think that it's something that we can push back because you've kind of screwed up earlier on. I want you to be really tight, make as much progress as possible. And then it's like a pit stop and you just kind of refuel to then it keep going. Just so people are aware what a diet break is, do you guys, just for your diet breaks, it's like basically a, a period of maintenance calories? Yeah, about maintenance, maybe maybe even a little bit more for, for some people. And, and that's going to run anywhere between seven to, to 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, like you said, it's scheduled in early, and because you want athlete buy-in, that is so important. And I don't know, like buy-in sounds kind of like con artist-ish, right? Like you know, like uh, you, But it's it's important to make the athlete part of the process, and you know, not just kind of throw things at them, but have them yeah, kind of uh, be on the same page as you early early on, and and have them see the benefits to to the diet breaks. And one thing you'll see from from the diet breaks is it. Um, outside of the fact that it can potentially, or, you know, help mend or slow down a lot of those those hormonal adaptations that happen throughout a, a long term diet. Um, uh, of course, it's it's psychologically soothing, and then and then also um, often what ends up happening is is that um, maybe we weren't losing weight too well, and then we our first few days of going on the diet break, um, well, hey, you know, extra carbs um, kind of helped out with the whole like these chronic cortisol levels we were running around with for, for weeks and weeks and we see some weight loss, you know? Um, so that, that's something that commonly happens. And then also another one is it often, I think, yeah, I think it's safe to say that most people at a certain point in the contest prep diet, they feel like they're just always a little bit behind when it comes to the recovery. And that kind of gives you a chance to like kind of catch up and, and, you know, be where you need to be recovery wise. And often the way we kind of schedule the diet breaks is maybe, um, uh, it can, depending on the person and, and what we see works best, but uh, right with maybe the hardest weekend training, or maybe for some people, um, that uh, that that deload week, mm-hmm. and then the, the diet deload, and have those things together, and uh, you know, it's just it's just it, it makes that week extra fruitful in regards to just overall systematic recovery. So, um, yeah, the diet break is it's kind of like the deload. I think there's all a point in time where you're like, oh, I got to deload, you know. But I think once you've trusted that process and you see that it keeps you progressing more and more predictably um you're not so mad at that deload anymore yeah yeah i I definitely use it combine the two i find with when i've done it with people and i've done it myself it's just like 
it's ridiculous how much fatigue drops, how much recovery is better. And it's almost like when people want to think about it is you do this so that you don't have to do it. So you don't have to force yourself because if you delay it, if you push it back, I mean, you're either going to deload or your body will deload for you. You're either going to have a diet break or you're going to binge or something along those lines because, yeah, the psychological and physiological aspects are huge. Do you guys increase frequency of diet breaks as you get towards show, which might make people think that doesn't make sense, like less time dieting as you get towards show, do you but actually increase them? Uh, yes and, and no. And, and often um, what ends up happening is that as we get closer to a show is that you have your shows, right? So like a peak week for a, a show ends up kind of by default being a diet break because you're training, perhaps you bring it down just a little bit to make sure that, you know, their body doesn't look like it's been through the ringer by the time it, it makes it up there on stage. So um, let's just say you have four shows into the year and maybe they're two weeks apart. Um, you will consistently see athletes get better and better after every peak week because we're kind of slowly pulling away from that chronic deficit we are running around in. Um, so usually, yeah, it does work that way. But it's, it's because the peak weeks, I would definitely include those. I, I would call those a diet break, especially if you front low your athletes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that yes, for sure. Um, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it. You're just so much more sensitive to, to losing a pound or two when, you know, you're four weeks out from a show. It's just a bigger deal. It's a bigger amount of your overall body fat. So it's going to leave a bigger impact. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, everything, every phase from, like, the beginning, the honeymoon phase where – it's just falling off to, I guess, like that big core phase in the middle where you're going to spend the majority of your prep just kind of churning away. And then um, I guess that la that latter phase where you're like, I still have more fat to lose. Oh, my God. You know, like and every every pound is just a battle. Mm -hmm. um, all those phases are should have um, they should have diet breaks. Mm -hmm. And I guess, yeah, so we're in that digging phase. And I know and something I wanted to point out to people was in the presentation you talked about reviewing fat loss a lot of people think about it and hopefully they know of kind of taking the weekly average and then they might have heard of like bi-weekly but i know you've talked about even looking over three weeks in that kind of digging phase when i guess would you kind of if you were going to define a digging phase it's kind of when you're getting below your bottom end set point when the body is fighting it because i definitely experienced that yeah yeah that's uh that's where you're most sensitive to to fluctuations, I feel, and and again, at the end of a diet, let's just take a typical, you know, male bodybuilder. Maybe they, they um, they have ten pounds left of fat. You know, and you have only three to lose. I mean, yeah, three to lose. That's that's about a third of your total body fat. Three pounds doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it's a huge deal, and it's super super invasive when you only have ten pounds of fat to lose. Um, so yeah, that last bit perhaps needs to be looked at a bit differently. And anywhere I think for for men, often every three weeks is where you want to review the the, the numbers on the scale. Uh, pictures every week would probably be good at that point. Mm -hmm. And then for females, you might even want to push it up to every month. You know, I, I think usually, um, I guess the the week after uh, after their periods is usually the driest week of all, where you'll probably get the most consistent uh, weigh-ins. And in general, women just tend to just lose a little bit slower than, than men. So for women, maybe during that last bit, yeah, looking at things every four weeks. And, and then for men, three weeks is not out of the question and probably advisable for 
for especially those divisions that have to get extra extra lean mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a really good point actually that you brought up females because obviously yeah they have their monthly hormonal cycle um i guess is there a point at which in the digging phase that some of them lose that cycle i'm guessing and then does it become more predictable once they lose their cycle or is See, that... the thing is that, yeah they, they, they'll lose it but some of the hormonal fluctuations are still there's still enough of a blip there to cause a disruption for sure um so and then often they become a bit unpredictable and that's just kind of the, i guess the nature of the beast for, for women is it yeah. You, you definitely want to, you know, keep them hormonally healthy as, as, as long as possible. But there's probably going to be a point where you will see some inconsistencies there. Uh, and all the better reason to perhaps take a little bit more time to, to wait. And when it comes to, to scale weight and analyze more data as opposed to, you know, the, the traditional every week. I don't I don't I don't I don't see how people used to do that, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. Um, it's funny. I used to do that at some point. Like it was every week. And for a contest prep diet, that's probably not the way to go about it. I guess maybe in the early stages it could be every week, uh, like you're extending it as you go through and like mini cuts could probably be every week. But yeah, as you get through it, you need to extend that. And then, yeah, for females, I know Lar McDonald's talked about it. I talked about it with Eric. They do even better with taking breaks. So like diet breaks are probably more important for them so that they can, especially because cortisol buildup is really big for females. And so you can wash that out and keep going. Kind of it can, yeah, that, that approach is really, really cool. Um, I think we're getting towards kind of the peaking phase. And you talked about it already a little bit in terms of kind of front loading. I know there's also kind of like uh, Cliff Wilson's done a lot of work with rapid back loading. And I know you guys have started experimenting with that a little bit as well. Do you kind of, how do you pick one between the other? Is there a way to, do you use diet breaks maybe as a way to kind of test for that? Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be an excellent time to do that. To just, especially the, the last few diet breaks prior um, to, uh, to the actual peak week. And I mean, it's, it's when you think about it, it's quite natural to look at it this way. I've, I've had it before where I've peaked someone for their first show and I'm like, oh, I completely bossed your peak. Like that was, that was really bad. I, I'm sorry, we'll fix it this next time. And, and we do that and we base it off the previous peak. Um, but I think to be even more proactive, you can take the last few diet breaks where, you know, you were actually lean enough to kind of get something from, from those and kind of keep an eye on when you look your best so yeah the diet breaks are a great way to audition peak week approaches and and um to to see who's a, maybe a better candidate for what um whether you front load uh, or back load uh i think that's going to depend on a few things uh one is going to be what is the athlete more comfortable with mm-hmm. um that's i mean peak week should be like a a chill week right where you know stress comes down and and if an athlete just doesn't feel okay with, say, eating 600 grams of carbs a day before the show, maybe that wouldn't be best for them. We'll, we'll front load them. Um, but I think primarily just out of, like, the, the coach's eye, who I front load and who I back load, it depends on who's more predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are very predictable when it comes to their carbohydrates, I know what they're going to look like after 500 grams of carbs, 600, 700. I'll have them carb up later in the week. Whereas someone where I'm not too sure about – they seem to be kind of all over the place. Yeah. I'll probably load up a bit earlier and then kind of fine tune and move around things to get that look we want um, mm-hmm. come showtime. Um, both are viable ways of going about it. Um, but uh, I would say that um, I am still 70% of my peak weeks are probably going to be front loads simply because um, just like a diet break, they kind of 
they, they, they give you a few days where you're out of that deficit. So by the time sh the show has arrived, we look a whole lot better. We look a whole lot less stressed and the physique just looks more alive. Mm -hmm. And for people who aren't aware, front loading is kind of like you bring carbs high and then you kind of taper them throughout and then you try and hold, you kind of peak them a bit early. Maybe you make them a bit watery early. So then you bring them down and then you might bring them up a little bit before the show. I guess that's a safer approach in terms of you've got that time to make manipulations. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Just like that, you, you're going to carb them up earlier in the week. You're going to find where that threshold is. And, you know, you obviously want them as close to 100% full. Um, but what you'll do is you aim to be like 101, 102% full. And then you realize, oh, okay, there's that line. Let's pull it back a little bit, but stay relatively close to that. And you kind of babysit that look and you want to stay as close to full without spilling over. Um, so that's, as you obviously you can see why that that would be easier for mm -hmm. an athlete. It's kind of uh, kind of unpredictable, yeah. uneasy about like having th that many carbs, um, you know, near show day. Um, and yeah, that's the front load. And then the back load is, um, uh, I feel that it's it's a little bit more popular now than it was, you know, just yeah. like five seven years ago. However, uh, I think one of the biggest perks, especially with my male bodybuilders, they always feel like they're undercarbed and not big enough, um, you know, and you know, for them going from, uh, I guess, um, you know, being flat the whole week to having all these carbohydrates on Friday, uh, just out of how they perceive things, they feel so much bigger and huge. And they're like, coach, we peak great. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been a, that's been a favorite of, of my male bodybuilders, especially the, the very predictable ones. Um, and the perk there is that basically uh, you don't get the perk that you get to actually, you know, be you probably need to take a diet break at some other point with someone who you backload. Um, <clears throat> but um, that's probably the one thing that kind of has going against it. But I, I feel that for someone who's predictable, that, that works out because that whole peak week becomes maybe an extra week of, uh, of fat loss, an extra few days, which, you know, at the end of a contest prep, that certainly matters. You can make enough progress in six days. It, it, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I guess also a big yeah for the reason for low stress levels is because if you're stressed out, you're not sleeping well, your cortisol levels are really high, you're going to be holding subcutaneous water, which is exactly what you do not want, especially in a peak week where you are only making what a tiny percentage difference anyway. So if you're getting stressed because you're doing some peak week, you're probably better off just actually just taking the diet break like and easy just running into the show. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's. That's, 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 that's a great point. Come peak week, I mean, you're, you're honestly trying to go from 90% to close, as close to 100% as possible. But 90% should look pretty pretty darn impressive at that mm -hmm. point. Cool. So I think we've covered every phase now, and now we're on recovery. So this is what everyone has been looking forward to. So they've probably <coughs> heard of reverse dieting. Now we're introducing recovery diet. Um, reverse dieting, recovery diet. Do you want to just explain kind of why you used to do one way and now you've progressed to another way and kind of the physiological and psychological aspects of both Berto yeah it's um it's funny because sometimes you know we realize that the way we were doing things before might have been more or less right um I go back to my first contest prep and I think uh that month afterwards I gained about 10 12 pounds and at the time I was like I don't know if that was a good thing necessarily um, and then the next, the next go around, I did the, the, the classical reverse diet, um, which was way more widely accepted at the time. And, um, yeah, it got to the point where, 
it was five months post-show, I still had striated glutes, and I was eating uh, a decently high caloric intake, but my training was not very good. And not to mention, I still had, I was perhaps a bit overly infatuated with, with food. I was, I was still more than, than, a, than a bodybuilder. And, um, but that's how, that's how, that, that was the standard protocol back then if you could tolerate it. That was, that was, it, it was looked upon as like the hardest way of, of, you know, coming out of a show, but the most reasonable and long-term best way. And mm-hmm. the, the way a reverse diet works is it, <clears throat> you add calories back in slowly, uh, in an effort to get your calories, um, to a decently high place where, you know, they, it, it shouldn't in theory feel as bad. Um, and some people even, I guess, kind of bought into the fact that perhaps it would supercharge your, your metabolic rate. You can almost change your set point. Um, and, and yeah, you would in slow increments, bring up the calories and try to control the rate at which you gain weight. Um, and ironically, uh, a lot of people have done it this way. And I think, uh, those who have followed through on a, on a reverse diet, they'll tell you that, yeah, that, that whole, um, for example, in your case, you know that, you know, when you're in the middle of something that's the, the suckiest part of a contest prep, you almost don't realize how much it sucks until you yeah. come out of it. And you're like, wow, that was a rush. Like, I can't, I was not normal for a minute there. Uh, and then even what ends up happening is in a few months later, you're like, oh, no, this is normal. That wasn't even normal. When I thought I was normal, that's not even normal. Yeah. Um, and and what a lot of people, friends who I've I've talked to, who have done the reverse diet, they will tell you that yeah, it just it's it was, um, it just felt like extending the contest prep. Um, so we weren't focusing on necessarily what was most important here, which is let's try to recover, fix all those dents that that contest prep created, so that we can start being progressive again. Um, and. I guess the, the ironic part is that the way that a reverse diet was supposed to work in a perfect world was that you are now leaner and you're eating all these calories and you're going to get to start your show there, basically, like closer to stage weight with all these calories. But uh, I had never seen that happen. I've never seen someone who, you know, used to spend their off seasons at like 14% body fat. All of a sudden, you know, three years later, they're running around at seven all the time. And it's like, how, how did you do that? Was that reverse diet I did a few years back? No, I've, I've never seen that. They end up back where they naturally are, and it was just long and dragged out. Um, so the the what the recovery diet does, though, the, the way we suggest people do it is it, it actually encourages you to use a surplus right after a show that is probably going to be the biggest surplus you will see during your whole offseason. And we want people to gain anywhere between 5 to 10% of their body weight within the first three to four weeks. So we want to get out of that danger zone. We want to, we don't want to be below our set point. We want to be probably at the low end of our set point and maybe a little bit higher. There, there seems to be uh, like what body fat feels good to me right after a show is very different to what it, what might be good and, and, and appropriate two years later, you know? And I think a big part of that is just because, uh, your body just wants to ensure it makes sense that like everything's like okay and like we're we're way out of the woods and we're yeah. past that. So, um, for example, off season, uh, I feel that right now about 175 is where I, I feel my best. 
But post-show, 175 would have felt very different. 175 would have still felt like, uh, get me up to 180, please, because 180, 185 even. Um, so, yeah, we, we rush you back to the low end of your set point so that we can start progressing again. And if an athlete is actually um, <clears throat> really, like, is really like bought into the recovery diet, we even make that month of training uh, a little bit more tamed where it's, it's okay to, hey, we're going to tra train three times a week. Uh, you know, it's going to be maybe half of our volume because when you look at what a contest prep does to you, I mean, people talk about overtraining and that's really hard to do with weights, really hard to do with weights. Something else is going to happen before you actually overtrain. Um, but when you look at the symptoms, what happens during a contest prep diet to an athlete, like a lot of those symptoms, like go hand in hand with what overtraining actually is. And it kind of, it, it makes sense. I mean, you look at the situation, you've dieted yourself down to, you know, to the point where you have really no body fat left you've been training really hard the whole time um and like this like and you've been running with this chronic deadline in your head for weeks and weeks it's perhaps not a good it's perhaps a good time post show not to necessarily focus on being progressive but on healing up taking a step back so that you can be productive earlier and uh, yeah so yeah that 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 month after a show a lot of food and ideally if the athlete will let you very little training relative to what they were doing and i guess that's what the recovery diet and when kind of it is what it says on the tin it's recovery because being at those body fat levels on stage isn't actually healthy and so you're basically just is recovering up to a healthy body fat level so then you can start there and start building so it's kind of like in and out and i don't know i kind of thought of it as when you bring a like charge you have your phone battery, you bring it down to almost 0% charge, you start charging up and try and use it like 20% and then it gets goes back down. Whereas kind of if you're at full charge, you come down to 20%, you don't feel so bad. It's kind of that sort of, I completely understand that as well. Whereas you feel very different at different kind of your same body weight, maybe even same body fat, but a dieted body versus kind of a fed body is very different. Very different. And I mean, all sports do that. I mean, after a powerlifting meet, you're not ready to go hit singles. I mean, training is just, for most people, after after a meet, it's, it's going to be awful for a few weeks. You know, it's going to take a while to get back to where you feel productive and ready to, to start building up again. Um, the same thing goes for any other sport. Like, look at what all other sports do after their season is over. They're not there going 100%, like, practicing again. They uh, They take some time off, they regenerate things, and then they're ready to go back at it. And I guess that 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 uh that line of thinking just doesn't go hand in hand with what is culturally acceptable in, in bodybuilding. It's a very like grindish, go heavy or go home sort of sport. Mm -hmm. um, and and but, but when you think about it, it's probably the last sport you want to do that because when you, you there's there's no sport that I've ever done that uh, just affects so many things the way that that bodybuilding does. Um, like I've 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 played uh, I played American football and yeah it, it everything hurt after the season but it was nowhere near how things hurt after a contest prep so um, I think yeah if anything our we should um, that that recovery phase post show should probably be a bit more assertive than what maybe even other sports use mm -hmm. and I guess when people when we're talking about recovery we've made, mostly talked about the physiological recovery kind of bringing up body fat levels so you feel better bring up calories so you just feel better so you kind of reverse all those metabolic adaptions where your energy levels are really low you feel like crap you're hungry all the time because well you're probably still going to be hungry because those kind of after effects but at least you're eating 
there's also mm -hmm. the whole psychological aspect so i know that's huge and you probably deal with quite a lot of different people and i guess that was a big reason removing the revert uh yeah reverse diet and going to recovery was the psychological repair and kind of i know for myself a lot of it was like social repair with like friends and family and like my girlfriend especially for my first show i really didn't know I, you don't appreciate it now i look back and i'm like i was a different person whereas now I, i'm very different to that I remember we had a meeting one time after, this is back when we were still kind of using the reverse diet way of thinking, and and <clears throat> we had talked about how we lost a bunch of guys to, to some vacations after a show, and and we uh, we unanimously agreed that, you know, from this point on, we will discourage people from taking a vacation post-show, um, and now it's like, no, it's the exact opposite. I think that's a great <laughs> time to take a vacation, you know, go with take your girlfriend, you know, go to Hawaii, just, you know, just lay on the beach, have copious amounts of food, train a little bit in the hotel, like gym if you want to. Uh, but, but yeah, repair all those things that, that definitely take a hit because bodybuilding is, I think, unlike any other sport, you know, it doesn't end, the, the training is in itself, like quite the task. Mm -hmm. But when you get home, you still have like more to do. Uh, that's probably actually my biggest worry going into my season next year is, is that um, I, I have such a, this is such a social town where everything revolves around food yeah. that I just, I, I've, I've yet to really determine how I'm going to do that. But, uh, but yeah, no, getting your mind right again and being okay with the scale going up, uh, being okay with um, not having a deadline looming. Cause you know, you know how that is. You go from like, you were on the hunt for weeks and weeks to, now I almost don't know what I'm, I'm going to do. That that can be, um, that can be quite a task to get over. I, I think the, yeah, the, the the post contest blues are are very real. You know, I think once it's over, it's like, oh man, as much as I wanted that thing to be over at a certain point, now it's over. And like, it's there is there's certainly like depression post contest is is uh, yeah very similar to maybe what like uh, Olympic athletes deal with yeah. like after the Olympics. You know, after. You know, they were kind of on the spotlight for, you know, for, for a few weeks there. They were, like, you know, invited on this show, that show. The same thing goes with bodybuilding. After it's all said and done, you're like, oh, like, there's a lot of things that I have to tend to outside of just bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously that's easier to do when you have um, enough food and enough body fat and, and you're not necessarily uh, running around with, with caveman brain, if you will. And I guess, I mean, at least with something like powerlifting, which is kind of along the same lines of bodybuilding, with powerlifting, it's not like you've got one competition in the year. For a lot of powerlifters, there's like meets they can do throughout the year, even like just as might mock meets. But for a bodybuilder, you can't just go and turn up to any old show. You need to be shredded kind of to do a meet, uh, to do a meet, to do a bodybuilding show. So it's not like you can, you've literally put in so much time, invested so much time to step on stage for maybe half an hour and then it's gone. And then you've got like another year at least until you're gonna <clears> do it again. And I can definitely see that psychological aspect in terms of just, yeah, not having a goal anymore. And I guess at least with the holiday aspect, you have then maybe a week two where you can chill out and maybe reassess your goals and think, where, where do I wanna go? And I guess that's why a lot of natural bodybuilders get into powerlifting because then that is a new goal. And they can strive towards something and it does have benefits because it does require progressive overload. It does require a lot of things that will build a body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly why it's been so popular. I think 
my first meet was a month after my first show. <laughs> um, and it was for that reason. It's like, I, I need to do something. All I've done is gotten fat over the last month. That's, that's what I thought at the time. <laughs> so I did a little push-pull meet, and it just took off from there. Um, and, and But, you know, kind of going back to where we opened this up with, like, the off-season and the fact that, you know, the off-season gaining is not just about getting fat. I think if you've really sold an athlete on that, it's going to be a lot easier to transition into that, and they're going to they're going to remember that oh yeah that this does have a purpose, and mm-hmm. all the cool new things that popped up in my physique during this prep, it's because of that phase. Yeah. Um, so again, it's important that you look at your your uh, your physique. It's really hard to because again, like the way fitness sells physiques, it's like this is to be sexy, and like if you are a a bodybuilder, you're a physique athlete. No, no, this is like this is. This is your skill. This is your sport. Like it's it's like the, the the sooner you can get away from that, the better off you're going to be in, in regards to how well you do, how how much progress you make. But I also think you're just generally going to be a lot happier. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I think we've covered the phases a bodybuilder needs to go through really really well. And I just want to leave the audience where they can contact you, where they can kind of find out more about yourself. I know. 3DMJ, you have a great YouTube channel and you do kind of a weekly kind of update. Most weeks, I know you try to. You're on Snapchat and Instagram on both stories, on Instagram stories, and you you post every day on um, Instagram. So um, people can find you on there and I have all the links below. Where would you like most people, if they wanted to kind of find out more about yourself, where would you direct them, Alberto? Um yeah, I'd say probably the the YouTube videos. I think we've uh, we've been putting those out for a while. So if you haven't heard of 3D Muscle Journey and what it is that we do. Um, yeah, go back. Uh, like the the the, the pyramids. Eric's pyramid started there. You know, and it was it was just Eric getting tired of being asked the same old question. So he just put out a whole wonderful series that I think has changed the way a lot of people yeah. view uh, view both eating and, and training. So the YouTube channel is probably the place if you want to learn the most about 3D Muscle Journey as a team, what it is that we do. A lot of good videos. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of our older ones are still pretty pretty good, relatively speaking. So YouTube, um, I am definitely on the Instagram almost every day. Uh, I'm kind of moving away from Snapchat. I, 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 I don't know which one's better at this point, but uh, usually find me in, in either one of those uh, social media platforms, and I like it because it's... Uh, I think a big part of uh, of this is being able to have people relate to you. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't ever want to be just a dude that lifts weights and eats protein. I want to show the human side, and that's something that I, I make a priority. And I know if people are interested, I know you've done like Instagram stories where people can ask you questions, or on Snapchat, people can ask you questions. So people should be aware of that. Get involved because the team Alberto. W- Obviously, we've just talked for an hour and they have a lot to give and share. And yeah, they are just normal people like everyone else, but have been through a lot and they have a lot of experiences and a lot they can give. So definitely check them out and thank you for tuning in. Thank you very much, Berto, for taking the time out. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.